in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. Well, I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? In response to the LIV golf threat, the PGA Tour hopes to introduce a revamped schedule that will include increased purse worth at least $20 million and at least eight existing marquee events and three new events in a global golf series that will include no cuts, limited fields, and purses of at least $25 million, sources told ESPN on Tuesday. Details are still being finalized and subject to change, the source said, but the overhaul of the tour is expected to be approved for 2023 as the LIV golf continues to pluck former major champions and other players on the tour's roster members. Did you think... It would happen this fast that they would say, you know what, we need, I'm not saying bend the knee, but this is, they're taking our guys and we better do something here. Oh, I absolutely thought they had to do something this fast because it's not really this fast, right? Like they've known for a while that this was hanging out there. It's just that it's all happening so close to live getting started. And now I think what you've seen the last few names changed the game a little bit, Ed, and I think that's why Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, had to jump out here because what, what did we hear? It's a bunch of washed up guys and a bunch of European players who don't want to come over to the States anymore, right? All over 40 on the downside of their career. Oh, then 37-year-old Dustin Johnson, 32-year-old Brooks Kepka, and 31-year-old Abraham Answer leave. And now the narrative changes quite a bit because now you've got some guys who are current stars who are still well within the earning power of their career, who might go so the, the, it seemed to be well received according to Mark Schleback and I think that you know the PGA Tour just by showing some positive action is doing what it absolutely had to do after Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy and John Rahm all went straight out there this weekend and stood up and put themselves in front of the fire to take it from the media they needed the response and they got one. Is this enough to uh, keep them around? I think for, of the three you mentioned, I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think they put themselves out there and, you know, pound their chest for the PJ Tour, but maybe guys in the back of their minds that were thinking about it, do you think this at least pauses all these defections and say, okay, let's see how this works out and if this really happens? Without question, because you put three money grab tournaments up there, $25 million apiece, and as the unidentified player in Mark Schleback's article talked about it doesn't come out of their pockets, right? You're not shifting prize pool money around or have, making them do anything different with all of the uh, player performance metrics that they have to go through that measure not only their performance on the course, but how much money they're bringing in right. elsewhere to help grow the game. No, this is the PGA Tour going back to its sponsors and saying, hey, uh, I know you already gave us money, but if you still want the value of your investment to be worth anything, because we need to have players here, you're going to have to put in a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Former Houston Rockets coach Mike D'Antoni is set to meet with Charlotte Hornets owner Michael Jordan on Tuesday to further discuss the job of the head coaching position. D'Antoni was considered a finalist before Golden State assistant Kenny Atkinson accepted the position during the NBA Finals only to change his mind and remain with the Warriors. 
Does D'Antoni do anything for you? We talked about, you know, we talked about Pete DeBoer getting his fourth head coaching job and a lot of the NHL coaches, Tortorella and others, even Bruce Cassidy, who gets hired in eight days. They kind of have that small fraternity of coaches who kind of are cycled through and continue to get jobs for good or bad, sometimes good, sometimes bad. NBA seems to do that, too. I remember, uh, who you, you remember Bill Fitch. Did he have like 42 jobs? Um, in his career, uh, I, I always remember him just getting new jobs. But you know, Mike D'Antoni, I'm not saying bad coach. Uh, 217 and 102 in his four seasons with the Rockets, um, Western Conference Finals uh, once and three conference semifinals. But it's just this thing where it's not surprising the names that came up. And I was more excited about Kenny Atkinson just to see what he could do after being with the Warriors than Mike D'Antoni. How differently would we look at Mike D'Antoni if Chris Paul doesn't tweak his hamstring in those Western yeah. Conference Finals, right? Great right. That's probably a championship team, and maybe we have a little bit more uh, respect for D'Antoni in that regard. What's interesting to me is that if you pair Mike D'Antoni with LaMelo Ball, because what we know is that if you go back with Mike D'Antoni, with Steve Nash, and, and some of the pairings he's had with guys who can really perform at the point guard position and who can push the tempo the way that D'Antoni likes to do, maybe that's a little bit intriguing. But otherwise, yeah, you, you do look and say that this guy's had a shot before, although we can say the same thing about uh, Kenny Atkinson. Right. Kalong told me a couple of days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk i'm drunk whatever <laughs> jackie bradley jr the headline says might have sucked because he couldn't see his 2021 season was a mystery around the game perhaps the mystery has been solved for the red sox player who's diagnosed this spring with astigmatism he's now wearing a contact in his right eye and his inning 281 his last 38 games so check out these splits 2019 ops 738 2020 814 2021 497 uh stigmatism this season uh it, I guess it tells you maybe uh, think of some LASIK or think of some surgery for this kid. Yeah, pretty interesting numbers, huh? Yeah. Uh, for Jackie those Bradley Those are, those are Candy's Choney's numbers. Well, I was going to give you credit for going uh, going to OPS. That's a that's a pretty long walk for you. <laughs> yes, I, I, I appreciate that. It's from you here to that. Anderson, my friend. It's from here to Anderson. Just tell you what, uh, <laughs> I can... Uh, I can back it up here with the uh, with some very advanced numbers nice, for I like the it. Weight, weighted runs created plus. Uh, it's sort of, you know, you look at 100 as the middle measure for weighted runs created plus, and Jackie Bradley Jr. in 2020, 119 in 2021 in Milwaukee, 35. Oh. Like it was remarkable uh, the change here. Now, keep in mind when we talk about Jackie Bradley Jr., we're talking about a guy who's not going to be a top offensive performer. He's probably just going to be good enough. Uh, on offense because it's his defense it's his calling card but you know what this gives me a lot of hope for ed F famous Jameis winston oh the guy who went and okay. had the lasik right. okay finally we're gonna get to see Jameis winston healthy and taking his shot this year maybe just maybe Jameis winston can finally be the guy in new orleans if jackie bradley jr can turn it around with the vision maybe Jameis winston can too any any yankees with vision problems it doesn't appear so what do you got 51 wins uh no uh, the the only vision problems they have are, are having to look up into that tampa bay roof and figure out where the ball's coming out of those damn catwalks <laughs> is it sterling with the home run calls when it's a fly ball to left it is high it is far <laughs> it is caught i don't care about your next question Former Purdue standout in 2016-17 consensus first-team All-American Caleb Swanigan died Monday. The school announced the family confirmed the death. He was 25. 
Also, Big Ten Player of the Year in 2017, following a season when he averaged 18-5 and 12-5 uh, for Purdue. Made the Sweet 16, uh, and he was the 26th overall pick by the Portland Trailblazers. Sad story, huh? I remember, I remember Caleb Swanigan. Boy, he was a hell of a college player. He really was, and the natural causes part of this story is what's terrifying, right? Yes. They didn't say that it was some disease or something like that. To call it natural causes for a guy the age of 25 is just unbelievable. And I, and I know it, it's it's cliche. We say it every day, but, you know, if you're, if you're appreciating what you have every day, you're doing it the right way, right? right. And having the gratitude for the fact that we're here this morning talking yes. like a couple of local yokels about, yes. uh, about sports and making a life out of it. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. A phone call between jail WNBA star Brittany Griner and her wife is being rescheduled after an early attempt to connect on the couple's anniversary failed to make an unfortunate because of an unfortunate mistake. The Biden administration said Tuesday State Department spokesman Ned Price said the original call last week and could not be completed because of a logistical error that officials have worked quickly to fix so a new call can take place. State Department did not offer a date for the rescheduled call. I think we've talked about this. I think they're just going to keep extending her until the best deal is made in their eyes. I just they they keep extending it. What two weeks? Two weeks? I don't think they have any any uh, um, intention of letting her go until they make the best deal that they think they can and get someone back. Without question, Ed, and, and having a story out here about a phone call getting screwed up by an unfortunate mistake. I mean, it feels like Vladimir Putin is personally calling reporters to push this story, right? Like, uh, maybe you can get him to cover that instead of talking about the fact that they've had Brittany Griner jailed for months over some marijuana residue. Like, yeah, she did something that she should not have done that was probably a mistake, and the punishment has not even come close to matching the crime thus far. So yeah. it's horrible, and I hope that we continue to put the cause of Brittany Griner there out front. In fact, the, the WNBA season being the timing that it is is actually great for being able to keep this this story out front and hopefully uh, people to keep the public pressure on the U S to get something done. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. I just got <laughs> tennis star Naomi Osaka partners with LeBron James Springhill company, a new media company, four time major champion announced the launch of her new media company on Tuesday. I want to ask you this because LeBron now a billionaire, uh, according to, um, Forbes, um, and he wants to, uh, own an NBA team. Uh, but this, I, just like Kobe, I think he's done really well with this media company. I think he's put out some good documentaries, some good shows. I mean, what do you think in terms of athletes who take this these kind of chances? And, and very few are successful. But I see where Osaka, if she's going to partner with anyone as an athlete, this is a pretty good company to partner with. Yeah, and if you don't know the Naomi Osaka story, it's worth just putting five minutes into looking into what this young lady has dealt with, with mental health issues and trying to be – a high-level athlete and also deal with what she has in terms of those medical problems and she was the highest paid female athlete in history in 2020 like she's someone at the very very top and starting up with doing something media wise the first project is going to be a documentary about former uh hawaiian congresswoman patsy mink first woman of color mm -hmm. elected to congress yep. sponsor of title nine yes fantastic it's fantastic and i think you can draw we just talked about jordan a minute ago right you can draw such a clear line between Michael Jordan and LeBron James when it comes to what they are willing to do to get into media in a way that makes a difference, right? Right. Uh, LeBron right. James, whether he does the interrupted, uninterrupted stuff or whether he gets into 
you know, telling more of these types types of stories is something that Michael Jordan was never willing to do. Um, and I think it speaks very highly of LeBron James and where he wants to be seen, not only on the court, but post-career. There, there was no mystery as to why he moved to Los Angeles uh, when right, it came right. to not only joining the Lakers, but starting the rest of his career. Oh, Next question. Standing in your corner. Next question. Do you remember when uh, San Diego State played Syracuse on the uh, aircraft carrier? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember the wind and the nonsense that that happened against the zone? How'd you like to officiate that game? The Zags and Michigan State want to do the same thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if I'm at a, if I'm at a carrier, I've got a, I've got a dome on it. Also, Wisconsin men's and women's basketball will play a doubleheader at Brewers Park. Uh, women against Sanford, men against Kansas State. Do you like these kind? I mean, I think I like these kind of games for the folly of it. I don't know why I would do it if I was a Zags in Michigan State and go outside, but it's going to be funny like the last time. And I hope it's. I hope the winds are like forty miles an hour. <laughs> The worst part of the whole thing, Ed, was that the court was wet. They couldn't yes. keep the moisture yes. off the yes. court. So the first time some five-star goes out there and blows his knee out, we're not going to want to do this anymore. And quite honestly, the way college basketball is right now, where no guy is really committed to staying in any school for more than one year, if someone tells me that I got to play in this game, I'm just going to look at the coach and go, nah, I'm good, and sit that one out. All right, we have two tickets to Morrissey, Viva, Mos, Viva Mas Vegas. Right now, two tickets to Morrissey. It's on July 6th at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. Uh, July 6th uh, for Morrissey. Call now, 702-360-1100, 702-364-1100, 702-364-1100. caller eh, 11. We'll take caller 11 right now, 702-364-1100. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Ed, Adam Candy, and Danny here with you today. Congratulations to Buddy. Buddy won the tickets to Morrissey at the Coliseum. We'll have more of those tomorrow. Morrissey at the Coliseum, great job, buddy. Hope you're feeling better, my friend. Tampa Bay Buccaneers tight end Rob Gronkowski is calling it a career yet again. 33 years old, announces retirement Thursday, Tuesday, excuse me, via social media. I wanted to ask you this since I saw this. Um, obviously, first bout Hall of Famer, there's no question, one of the greatest tight ends ever. But I want to know where you rank them all time. If if I tell you Tony Gonzalez, six first-team All-Pros, 14-time Pro, Bowl, 14 time Pro Bowler, Hall of Fame, NFL 100 all-time, that's the easy choice for the top one, right? Is there is there any question is that Tony Gonzalez is the greatest tight end ever? There's a question for me. Uh, oh, great. I, I want to hear this. Is, I yes. think Rob Gronkowski is the greatest tight end oh, ever Oh, beautiful. That's why I wanted to oh, This is great. Yeah. Uh, you have to put a caveat in there. You didn't get to see Rob Gronkowski do everything that he could do because he was injured consistently, right? Like, we have multiple seasons for Rob Gronkowski that were derailed by injury. But in the time that we saw him over the course of – the better part of 11 seasons, right? Uh, 10 that he played, but the 11 years. No one was better. And I don't know that he's going to be able to win the longevity arguments with a guy like Tony Gonzalez, with a guy like Antonio Gates. But I do think you can look at what he did as revolutionary. I mean, and for two reasons. One, you have multiple thousand yard seasons and a guy who by PFF grades had an elite, elite over 90 PFF grade for seven consecutive seasons. Not only that, but this guy was a massive blocker. And mm -hmm. I think we forget that part of the tight end position as well. And Rob Gronkowski 
was an NFL-quality lineman as a tight end who had unbelievable hands. When the Giants played against Rob Gronkowski in the Super Bowl, I was terrified of him even with one hand that he was playing with. Rob Gronkowski put up the most elite performance of a tight end that we've ever seen. And I think Tony Gonzalez has a fantastic claim as, what, number two? But I don't know that I've seen anyone do what Rob Gronkowski did. We just didn't get to see all of it because he had multiple injuries and, of course, didn't play in 2019. Boy, that's a great. Those are great points. I, that's why I asked you. I thought I thought for sure you'd go Gonzalez, but uh, and you're right. I mean, and you know, we talk about Waller and is he going to get extended? And all you see are the offensive numbers. And I mean, this isn't a shot at Waller. It's, it happens with every tight end. The blocking is just not looked at it's not the sexy thing to look at it's much like you know the offensive lineman you only know him when he gets beat you know you don't see Colton Miller you know having these great games if he gets beat one time though and Derek Carr gets sacked what are we saying oh bad bad game by Colton Miller um but Gronkowski was a terrific blocker and I think you're right that we don't talk about that enough is his kind of being Gronk and being the funny guy I hope that doesn't take away from people you know knowing his greatness I think be that's a party weird. animal. Yeah, I think people get people get caught up in that, right? That's the Gronk public persona. But I think what you don't look at, and if I just said don't look right now, uh, I'm going to give you a stat. How many yards per reception did Rob Gronkowski average in his career? Oh, man. Is this a Candy's Chonies? By the no, way, no, it's just, it's just a regular Danny, old number. Danny, I was two for three on the Chonies the other day. It was unbelievable. Can you believe it? 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 Uh, he blacked I, out. I did. I, I fainted. Wow. That's yeah. that's actually very impressive because I've been on this show a couple of times when he's done it, and those numbers come out of left field. Like I don't even know where they come from half the time. He gave me some hints. They were Dodger stats, but still, I was a, I was still was able to get them. Well, it's absolutely I, amazing. I think one was ERA. I, I don't know. Quit what the other stalling, one. Grainy. Uh, I quit will stalling. say eleven point five. Uh, 15 yards per reception for Rob Gronkowski in his career. His high number for touchdowns in a season was 17 in 2011. But 15 yards per catch. He had one season where he averaged 21 and a half yards per reception. 21 and a half? You're redefining what the position is at that point for Rob Gronkowski, right? You're redefining what the tight end does. It's not just the you know, six yards and a cloud of dust pattern over the middle to the tight end. Rob Gronkowski became a vertical weapon in the NFL, and that's for a Patriots offense that wasn't much about vertical weapons. Uh, Granted, a lot of it was yards after catch for him, but Rob Gronkowski came in and played the position at such a high level that I don't think that you can dismiss him based on Gronk the funny guy or Tony Gonzalez playing longer. Right, Right, exactly, yes. Just because Gronk was out there uh, shaking his everything on a cruise ship doesn't mean he wasn't the greatest tight end I've ever seen. I actually think that makes it even more impressive because most people, especially NFL, they really take care of their compartmentalize, bodies. And, compartmentalize, yeah. Yeah, they have to like stay super active and like take care of themselves in the offseason. And the fact that he's able to go party and then turn it on serious mode come July and August and into the season, that makes it even more impressive. Without question, he's he's a physical freak. If you've ever seen the special that ESPN did with the Gronkowski brothers and you've seen what it just took for him to be able to get out of his own living room every day, you know that Rob Gronkowski, the football player, uh, would be able to overcome quite a bit, even if it was self-imposed with the partying. But, you know, Rob Gronkowski got 
beaten to hell by his brothers every day in that house, and they all became big-time athletes. You okay with Antonio Gates at three? I'm okay with Antonio Gates at three, yes. I, and again, Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez, to me, have the same argument. It's longevity, which longevity matters, right? Being able to, in the NFL especially, being able to play that long matters. Tony Gonzalez winning uh, 14 Pro Bowl honors uh, matters. But at the same time, the argument becomes something that's a whole lot more like Derek Jeter, right? Derek Jeter is not a player who just on one individual season or two individual seasons you look at and say, wow, what a superstar Hall of Fame player. No, you look at Derek Jeter over the course of a long, long career and say, look at all these things that he did. But if you put him up against guys who had more supernova kind of careers, you know, I'm just going to go cross sport here okay, and say whether it's an Andrew Luck or a Barry Sanders or other guys who retired prematurely and had this kind of Gronk run, it's a different thing. Is longevity overrated ever? Uh, I like being alive, but, you know. Um, you know but you're, uh, in, in terms of what you're talking about, because yeah. you, do, you compile these stats, and maybe you've got some examples off the top of your head. You just are compilers of numbers. Uh, you know, 3,000 hits, you're in. This many wins, you're in. You know, this this many home runs, you're in. I mean, are you okay with that, like the benchmarks? Or do you have to, in your mind, should we take them individually, see what kind of careers they really had, who they were, how long they played? As you know, you see Pujols the other night, first team all, uh, how, uh, Hall of Famer. I get that. But they're adding these nine, number nine and, you know, already plays forever. And I th- he's obviously Hall of Famer. But you see some of these numbers, and they're just automatic that, yeah, you're in the Hall of Fame because you did that. And maybe that's fair. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that they get they reach these numbers and they reach these stats, then they should be in. I don't know that it's a matter of just hitting a number, though. I think when you talk about 3,000 hits in particular, you can do the math really quick and say to get to 3,000 hits, you have to have 200 hits a season for 15 seasons. And the 200 part of that is the real interesting one because 200 hits is elite performance. You're going to hit 300 every year if you have 200 hits. So I think that that's a measure of sustained elite performance Mm -hmm. that maybe you look at that for a guy who doesn't have as many World Series rings, doesn't have as many home runs, and you say, well, he excelled that way. So I think what you're going to end up with there is you're going to end up with numbers that are arbitrary versus numbers that imply something that is sustained longevity. I can talk about 14 Pro Bowl nods for Tony Gonzalez as a great thing. But it's a it's an award that's voted on by fans and players, right? Like it doesn't really mean anything in the end other than you were popular. When we come back, we're hoping it's Jason Fitz. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain. And you are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Hello, Jason. How's it going? How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm great. Uh, How are you? Great. We came out of the break with this uh, this uh, rankings of Rob Gronkowski. I, we've got to get your idea. We've got to get your thoughts here. So Gronk retires. Uh, you put him with Tony Gonzalez and maybe Antonio Gates. Where do you put Gronk? I, I want you to say certain names so you and Candy can go back and forth on this. But where do you put Gronk if he if he's in the top three with Gonzalez and Gates? Where is he ranked? Well, that's a oh, I think. Uh, maybe second. There we go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Kenny. I, I, I can't put him at the top. I mean, there, certainly you look at what his body went through, and I think that diminished parts of what 
he did, but he really was all around, right? Like, there, there's so few tight ends, especially in modern football. Like, I don't know when we're going to see another tight end. The tight ends are changing and what they're being asked to do so much positionally. We know this as Raiders fans. Like, there are tight ends on the roster that are not going to be asked to sit in and do a tremendous job blocking, cough Darren Waller, but there are tight ends that you hold on a roster specifically for that, right? Like, Gronk was the rare – there was no – cheat when he was on the field you didn't know what that meant for their play calling and uh, his ability to just muscle you over i mean he's sort of the andre the giant of uh, of the w of wwf analogy of uh, of the nfl over the last few years he's just been able to bowl over everybody that tried to take him down he's a true bull in a china shop and i will tell you not that you asked for a gronk story but i will tell you yeah. that i was at a super bowl party before i worked in this business and uh, it was super bowl party it was being hosted by a major media company, and I, I got brought in by a buddy of mine. The band was playing like a Super Bowl event in San Francisco. And I remember we, we somehow ended up in this like roped-off area partying with uh, Gronk and his whole family and like all these people. We're all partying. And at the end of the night, Gronk just starts yelling. He's like, we're going back to the hotel. And my buddy that snuck me in was like, no, we are not. And I was like, how are we not going back to Gronk's hotel? It seems like it would be a spectacular time. And he just looked me dead in the eye. We were trashed. But he looked me dead in the eye, and he's like, hey, I don't want to die tonight. We're not going back to Gronk's hotel. That's what I always, every time I take a Gronk, like that boy can pound it. And there we go. That's the whole point that we have to go back to. That's why he's the greatest of all time. No one ever tells me about the Tony Gonzalez partying stories. I hear about the Rob Gronkowski partying stories. Oh, it's a throwback, right? Like, because we hear back, and, you know, I obviously, you know, if you think I'm in my 40s, right? So, like, I grew up watching years. They didn't memories from start to the mid 80s but my dad certainly always worried about you know the Raiders coming out on the field and you could still smell the booze on their breath and they beat you all the way to a Super Bowl like that's Gronk uh, through and through like I mean that, that Gronk should have been a Raider uh, absolutely you know who wants to be a Raider Indomitian Sue um Oh, is this him? It's we were talking about yesterday. It's almost like he's saying it so much we don't believe it'll happen. And I'm not even sure that they want it to happen. Given I don't know what he'd want. 35 years old, but he's been durable. I think he's only missed two games in his career, but he's 35 years old. Um, he, I'm sure you've seen all the tweets. I'm sure you saw him on 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 the shows and, and mentioning the Raiders. Uh, is this him sort of playing the media game because there's not much interest, or do you think there's a lot of interest in Sue? I think you're, the first part of it's pretty right, and you know. So unfortunately, because I'm I'm in LA right now, I haven't uh, I wasn't on campus the last couple of days right. at ESPN where he's been. But uh, lucky for me, everybody on campus is my eyes and ears for me. And so when I got connected for Spain and Finch yesterday from the studio, was talking to my producer, said, "Look, I saw him on, on on campus, and I had to corner him and ask if he wanted to come on the show. He didn't have time, whatever. Uh, but he said, you know, I asked him." You know, real, because he's like, Fitz is going to want to know, uh, real. And he said, yeah, uh, that he definitely wants to play. And, you know, the Raiders are a place he would love to play for. And that's not a – that's sort of a, you know, two guys standing in the hallway giving an answer. Uh, every indication I've got from people that have been around him in Bristol this week is that he would love to play for the Raiders. I, If he's not signed right now, I would say that that speaks to the other side of this, which is mm-hmm. you're the Raiders, you got a million people on your roster right now that play that position. Do you want to spend the money – for him to come in. I mean, I, I think there's value, but for everything else, it's about value at a particular cost. So the, the Raiders have obviously looked at it and said, hey, we're going to let things shake out. Also, though, if you're him and you're the organization, you don't need to do anything today. Like, he's going to be brought in with a very particular set of skills 
It does not matter if he's around for training camp. Save his body, save your energy, see what you got on the roster. If he's still on the market, bring him in when he doesn't have to take a pounding. Got it. So he's Liam Neeson. <laughs> exactly. He is yes. He is Liam Neeson. I mean, that, 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 I think that's the, the best analogy in history. Uh, just don't tell him I said that. all right uh jason i saw uh you you know people always trying to generate a little bit of uh, twitter discussion and we're throwing out the question the other day of who has the most delusional fan base in sports and i saw a lot of dallas cowboys responses but of course we do hear from a lot of raider nation on the regular here Uh, where, where would you put raider nation among the delusional fan bases top five I mean, and I say that without hesitation, like, and y'all know, like, I mean, I've got a Raiders tattoo. I'm part of that. Right. But then I, <laughs> I, I think about this, like last year when I was coming on shows in the summer, I was getting just beat up by Raiders fans everywhere about the media bias and the ESPN bias and the NFL bias, the delusion for the Raiders fan fan base. Isn't just that Raiders fans constantly think this is the year. And I do it too. Like I am as excited about this year as I've been for any season is since 2016. Like, I am absolutely – I think the Raiders have a legit shot at the Super Bowl this year. I have tried to to tamper that back because I understand that we say so much like that every single year. But that being said, the other part of the delusion is that Raiders fans are convinced that the modern NFL is still anti-Raiders. And there's just no – I was that way with the work for ESPN. I was like, oh, yeah, now I'm be the voice of change in a company that hates my favorite team. And then I walk in the door and every single person was like, Thank God, you're a Raiders fan. We love talking to Raiders fans. Great Raiders. Talk about the Raiders anytime you want. People listen when we talk about the Raiders. Like, I learned quickly in ESPN that the only thing people care about are ratings and money, and the Raiders happen to help with. So, there isn't the anti stigma, but every time I say that, every year, like this year when people pick the Chargers to win the division, which, by the way, I'll be doing, and then they pick the Chiefs and the Broncos ahead of the Raiders, which some people are going to do it's going to be perceived that that is because they are idiots that are biased instead of just like they have a different opinion. That's the delusion of Raiders fan base. Like the Raiders fan base not only gets delusional about the team, they also walk into the room like, like, you know, like the ex that you dated that was paranoid that everybody was staring at her and saying stuff about her when it's like, nah, babe, they're just looking at the buffet line behind us. Like it it has nothing to do with (laughs) their outfit. Like that's Raiders fans. All right. You backed up on it a little bit. I don't want you to back up on it. Why can they get to the Super Bowl? This is the top three offense in the If this is, I was sitting in a, uh, before I went to the LA Sparks game last night, uh, shout out to Cheneo Gumike, uh, my buddy. Before I went to the Sparks game, I sat in a sports bar and I sat down, and the guy behind this, this rarely happens in my life. The guy behind me at the bar was like, oh my God, I know you. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And so immediately, before you know it, I'm in a 20 minute conversation at the bar about the Raiders. And I said to that everybody at the time, like, if Derek Carr does not have a top 10 MVP type season, he won't be the quarterback after next year, right? So, like, it's fair to say this is going to be a top three offense in the NFL in yardage and in scoring, which is going to present a ton of opportunities. Are there holes on the defense? Maybe, but they can get after the passer, and I believe in being able to get after the passer. We saw last year a shaky secondary at times was hidden by the ability to get after a passer. So, I believe that this Raiders defense will be opportunistic enough to be able to put them into that running. I think Kansas City's taken a step back. The most talented team in the division, sorry, everybody, is the Chargers. So if the Chargers can put it together, great. But the Raiders will be either, in my mind, they're winning the division or they're one of the top wild cards. And once you're in the playoffs, we saw it last year with the Bengals, 
you got an explosive offense. You can do anything, and the Raiders' offense next year will be better than the Bengals' offense was this year. How quickly do you think Derek Carr can get rid of the football? Because I think the one <laughs> thing that could slow this team down is the offensive line concerns that are out there. So do you think that that's overblown? Do you think that they can get the ball out of his hands and Josh McDaniels can scheme around that weakness? I think what they're going to have to do is, A, yes, they're going to have to scheme around it. That's the biggest part of it. I think Josh McDaniels is going to have to do enough with formations and shifts that it makes the defense think a little bit. And if you're making the defense think a little bit, you can buy your quarterback a little extra time. So that's the key to me. Like I, when you look at, at what defense is going to have to do, and you know Ryan Clark, I'll, I'll really give him a lot of credit. I sat down and watched some film with RC a couple of months ago, and he was showing me what the Chiefs do that's incredibly strong when they had Tyree Kill and how it impacted defenses. And really what, what hit me the hardest was watching defenses cheat to one side. And we've turned that into a Raiders conversation, and, and the RC was breaking down. He's like, look, if the safeties are all cheating towards Devontae, which is what you have to do because he's that good, that's going to leave the entire other side of the field to give you the opportunity, much like when you're playing you know, in basketball, if you're playing zone on one side, you know, like what, what do you do? How do you get around one, one person you know that is going to be able to score on you from anywhere? That's going to be the opportunity to hit for Waller and Redfro, right? So I just think the defenses are going to be so confused trying to figure out who's going to what side and how they're going to be able to get the, those guys slowed down. That'll create offensive opportunity. But you are right. If the offensive line is absolute trash, it's going to be – but I will say this. The offensive line last year was absolute trash for the Bengals, and they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Two music questions for you. The one, the one will be quick. So the other night, Styles plays uh, Wembley. The daughter's showing me, you know, clips of it. We have to watch every time this guy sings a song. Uh, up top, up top is Niall Horn, who played with him in One Direction, and he is. I mean, he is at the top of Wembley. I don't know how this kid was up there. He should have been in the front row. But anyway, who's the one band you or perform you would see to go to the top of Wembley, even if you knew the person? And would you be mad that you had to sit up there? Who's that you'd go no matter what? Didn't matter where you sat. Oh, I got bad seats. I don't think there's anybody in the world that I would do that for. Like, really? I can't think of an artist that I would go sit at the top of Wembley for. And I had a, I had a buddy for the longest time that was a, a merch guy for One Direction, and I went and saw them a few times. I would make the argument that post One Direction, and I know this will offend Beatles fans, post One Direction, I think this might be the most successful breakup of a boy band we've ever seen, like of, of that sort of phenomenon, because – so many of those guys have had tremendous success post that, and they're all very, very talented. So kudos to them. But they hated each other. Like my buddy that ran Mercy really? was like, this was like when they played, I went to the show at Nissan Stadium in Nashville, and he was like, yeah, and that was right at the, the thick of it all. And he's like, yeah, they all have separate, like they got to the point where they were staying in separate hotels because they didn't want to even bump into each other in the lobby. Wow. So, you know, there was a, I think a lot of artistry, if you've learned anything from watching the five of them be out on their own, like, they are very different. And I, I, Harry Styles, I, I said this, Chuck D tweeted about Harry Styles the other day, and it, it sent me into a long DM thread with a, with a legend. But, um, you know, I, I told him at the time, if you take Elton John meets David Bowie and you tell me that there's somebody that's just trying to make art and they don't really care about any of the rest of it, that's what Harry Styles is doing right now. And he's making records that are timeless. I'm a big believer that it, when you use real instruments, you can't tell, like, you don't know when a Stevie Wonder record was made or a Michael Jackson was record was made because they weren't made in the time. They were made for all time, and that's what Harry Styles is doing, the music he's making right now. I, I think we're going to be listening to this this new record will still be on people's minds in 20 years. It's really it, it's timeless art. I'm yeah, really yeah. impressed. 
got it on the house at every day with the daughter. Last one here, we gave <laughs> yeah. away tickets to Morrissey. You know anything about Morrissey? Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, I think you're Oh, did my, we get somebody? Well, I say, yeah, I got nothing on Morrissey. My brother was a big Smiths fan as a kid, so that was like my my introduction to all of it. But yeah, no, I I've never interacted oh. with Morrissey. I I am a fan of his work, but yeah, I got I you finally stumped the swan. Wow. I got no I got no story on Morrissey. Wait till I tell Bischoff he wasn't even here. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Have a great Jason week. Jason Fitz, ESPN. Nobody better. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Fitz. We finally got him, Adam. I I had no idea this Morrissey was going to get him. I, I had to ask. Uh, I'll be very honest with you. You can tell me what you thought, but I had to ask Danny about this Morrissey person, about what, what, what type of music Morrissey played. He said it's a person. That does not surprise me. Uh, <laughs> that, that actually feels like it's right where it should be. Um, I, I, once, I once crashed a rental car into a curb in Dublin, because of an because of a One Direction concert, how about that? Oh wow! There's a whole story I can tell you there. The concert the concert was going on. Uh, I was driving in Dublin. It was my first experience ever being on the other, other side, side of the, the road. road. Right, right. It is a driving rainstorm on a Saturday night, and I'm with my ex, and we are. Uh, without any sort of map because we couldn't get a SIM card for the phone. So we're trying to like make our way to our hotel in the middle of Dublin. And now I'm having to like dodge people who are running across the street. Like, why are people, why do the Irish just run across the street? Um, turns out they were all children because the One Direction concert had just let out. Oh. And so now I'm trying to like swerve and avoid people. And then I, I, I might have put the rental car into the curb uh, trying to avoid running teenagers from a one what a story concert. what a story all right when we come back there's another story and it's the aces and they blew a big lead you're sitting in the press box with graney and bischoff on espn las vegas follow them on twitter at ed graney and bischoff underscore tyler well, those 41 didn't seem to help them did they last night the uh aces lost to the sky 104 95 they did have those 41 in the first quarter and then the sky, the largest comeback, down 28 in WNBA history. So two things I think you'll agree can kind of derail this great team that the Aces have. Obviously, injuries are starting five because that's all whoever plays. But also, they haven't been great defensively. And I like Hammond because Hammond, they could win by 30. And if they give up, you know, 60 points, Hammond's going to rip their defense. Last night, she said after the first quarter, they got their asses kicked. Um would you agree with that? I mean, that, that's a two out of three, three out of five. I can't see them losing it because they're so talented. But, man, they better defend a little better. 104 on the, at home? Chicago Sky shot better than 57% from the floor, including 48% from three-point range. Uh, that's not going to win you a whole lot of basketball games. And, look, this had to happen. At some yes, point this point. season, this had to happen to the to the Aces, right? Just by the odds, it had to happen. But when you look at teams that need to be tested and need to go through something, this had to happen if the Aces were going to win because Asia Wilson has never been the leader of a team that wins a championship, and Candace Parker sure as hell has. And uh, that's what we saw last night, right? We saw a team didn't panic. Uh, we saw, uh, I believe it was uh, Vandersloot had a quote and said there was kind of weirdly calm. Like, we weren't worried about being down 41-18 to 18 after the first quarter and to your point about Becky Hammond by the way uh, of course she's going to say that she you know, she comes from the Greg Popovich tree yes. if they don't play defense you're going to hear about it I like how honest she is 
I, I, I love how honest she is. She, she, she will tell you how it is, and I think, and I think it's good for them. Are you ever the uh, subscriber to a good loss like this helps you? She actually said that afterwards. She goes, oh, this will help us. Oh, without question. Because when you've gone out there and you're 13-2, and two, like you can get into the mode where you think we really are that much better than everybody else. Right. And when you're up 41 to 18, you probably think we are that much better than everybody else. But then a team like the sky that has a lot of veteran leadership comes back and does what they did to the aces last night. And you can say, Oh, yeah. All right. Time to take a take time. To take a reality check. You see these guys ever losing three out of five. No, not with the amount of talent that they have. It's going to take injury for them to lose three out of five. All right, when we come back, the Raiders, we haven't gotten much into the Raiders. I'm going to ask Adam about the cornerback situation. Everyone's making such a big deal about the offensive line, but are the cornerback a bigger uh, problems for the Raiders? Uh, and Sam and Ash is going to be with us at 9.15. We're going to go over some topics like Vanessa Bryant lawsuit against the city of uh, L.A. We're going to go over uh, Tony Busby, the attorney for you-know-who, Deshaun Watson, settling all those cases, and NASCAR's Clint Boyer struck and killed a woman in a car accident. You're looking, hey, forward to, you're looking forward to Sam and Ash? Uh, here, uh, especially because Daniel Snyder was just subpoenaed yes. uh, by the House. I think that Can could you be throw that in there, please? Well. <laughs> <laughs>